0: All right. If you haven't already done so, uh, let's open our Bibles together to John chapter 14. That's where we are today. John chapter 14. If you weren't here with us last week, we started chap this chapter together. John chapter 14, uh, where Jesus opens up the chapter by saying, "Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You see, he just previous to this has told his disciples, his followers, that he needs to leave." Uh, that that he's going to the cross. And so as we enter into this chapter, we we find ourselves in a tense moment. Uh, There's likely a a high amount of anxiety in the room. And so to that, Jesus says, don't be troubled. Uh, Don't have a spirit of anxiety. And, And why? Why? Well, we explored this last week. You don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be worried because... Jesus is going to make it possible for you to be with him forever. That's what Jesus tells them. By going to the cross, by by dying for our sins, by resurrecting from the grave and then ascending to the Father, he says, I'm making it possible for you to experience my presence, not just in this future reality, but right now. I'm making it possible for you to experience my presence now is a beautiful and powerful truth that we can be with jesus that we can experience jesus right here right now and so that was the reality of last week we have access to jesus presence now we are in christ we say now and so the question from that i think naturally becomes What is the overflow of that reality? Or you might say, how does the reality of God with us, how does the reality of God in us right now impact our everyday lives? So that's where we're headed today. We're going to ask the question, what does the life of a restored man look like? And whereas last week was certainly a bit more heady, okay, Uh, A lot of questions came from last week. Uh, It's a lot more theological last week. Today is going to be a bit more practical, okay? A bit more practical. I had to fight that all week. Keep this a little more practical because you know how I am, right? I like all the heady stuff a little bit more. Today's a little more practical. Listen, through the gospel of Jesus, we have been restored. That's a reality. God in us, us in him. And if that's true, We need to know how should we then live. I'm going to give you four things today. Four practical things that disciples of Jesus should be doing, how they should be living in light of being restored to Jesus, in light of being restored to Jesus. So let's open up the text now. The first thing that I want to point out to us is that a restored man should be doing this. They should be bringing the kingdom For those of us who are in Christ here today, believe Jesus, believe in the Father, he says, at the beginning of the chapter. How is it that we should live? We bring the kingdom. Look with me at verse 12. Jesus continues with his disciples and says this Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father, it's interesting here. Jesus says, because, because I'm going to the Father, you are not only going to do the works that I've been doing, but you're going to do greater works, greater. And so what is meant by going to the Father here? Why is that even significant? Well, the disciples who are in that room, they don't yet understand. They don't know yet, but we know that After the ascension of Jesus, after he goes back to be with the Father, what happens? Well, Jesus tells the disciples, it's found in Luke chapter 24, that he is going to pour the Holy Spirit on them. And that's exactly what we see take place in Acts chapter 2, right? They receive, those who believe, those who trust in him, they receive the power of the Spirit through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we know that they are given the Holy Spirit for a very specific task, a mission we are told, to be witnesses of Christ, to make disciples to the very ends of the earth. So Jesus, by saying, because I am going to the Father here, we know that he's referring to the Spirit's coming to them, the Spirit that also comes to us, the Spirit that comes to us for life the spirit that comes to us for ministry. Now, uh, we're gonna talk about the spirit coming to us a lot more in just a minute, but at least for now, Jesus says, for those who, who do have the spirit, for those who have been restored to Christ through the gospel, notice two particular things here that I already mentioned. First of all, Jesus says, you will do the works that I do. And then the second thing he says is, not just that, but you'll do greater works than these. So let's really, really briefly talk about that. To everyone who believes, Jesus says, you will do works, the works that I've done or have been doing. This is a message for all of us then, for all of us who believe and therefore receive this Holy Spirit's indwelling. And let's not move past this moment here either and understand the significance of this, okay? See, up to this point, up until this moment even, even even throughout what we read in the Old Testament, we know about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people for a certain time and for a very specific task. It was temporary, okay? But now... For those of us after Jesus' resurrection, after Acts chapter 2, after what we call Pentecost, we are still given the Holy Spirit for a task, still true, but it's no longer temporary. We're going to be told in a few verses it's forever. That we are given power for what purpose? For our own good? No, for a specific task to do the works of Jesus, or better, to continue the works of Jesus, to continue the teaching and ministry of Jesus Christ. So that's what he's getting at here first. But what about that second part? That's interesting. What does Jesus mean that we will do greater works than him? Well, there is some scholarly debate amongst, uh, you know, amongst scholars. There's some debate about this, but not really, okay? The, the vast majority would say that it's, it's safe to rule out that we're not supposed to, or we're not meant to, or what Jesus was not saying is that you're gonna do greater miracles than me, right? Because actually, we don't even see that with the apostles, right? Yes, they do miracles, absolutely. And through the Spirit's power, let me be clear, I believe that we can still see miracles today. Absolutely. And honestly, I think we should. But how could we even do greater miracles than Jesus? Right? What would that even even look like? I mean, this guy walked on water, right? He multiplied food. He controlled the weather. He raised a man from the dead. And so how can our miracles be greater than that? It'd be tough, right? So what we then say is when he talks about being greater is that Jesus here is not talking about quality. He's talking about quantity, okay? Greater in quantity. It's about our work being greater in scope, our work being greater in, in scale. See, we have to remember a couple of key things about Jesus's ministry. First of all, as great as Jesus was, as amazing the miracles were and profound the teaching, we know that Jesus's ministry, his works, were confined to one very little, small part of the world. A very small part of the world. A small segment of the population. But to the disciples, and now to us, what is Jesus' message? You'll be my witnesses. What's the, what's the mission? I just said it, to the ends of the earth. And here in Seoul, actually, if you're here today, sitting here, even at FEC, we are example an example of this work coming to fruition. We are worshipers. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. We are worshipers from all over the globe here today. Why? Because the Spirit has come and greater works have been done. I mean, let's remember when Acts 1, Acts chapter 1 finished, and the disciples gathered together, right? Jesus has ascended. He's gone to the cross. He's raised from the dead all these amazing things all the teaching the disciples at the end of chapter 1 they gathered together and you know how many people were there 120 that's less than the adults in this room right now that's all there was 120 of them devoted followers 120 but after Jesus leaves almost right after he leaves within you know weeks people start believing the gospel by the thousands the thousands, right? And so, what's my point in all of this? Disciples of Jesus have been doing the works of Jesus, and they've been doing even greater works since Jesus. And, not only that, we should be doing the same. That's part of what it looks like to follow him. Right? This is what the life of a person who is in Christ looks like. They, they participate in the works of the kingdom, And they are bringing the message of the kingdom. Their life is about restoration. Their life is about redemption, spreading the good news wherever they go, just like Jesus. And so the question is, the first one at least today, the first question is, as a person who is here, maybe in the room or watching online, as a person who has been restored, as a person who is in Christ with Jesus... Are you participating in this work of the kingdom? Because this is Jesus' expectation. You will do the works that he has done. You will do greater things than he has done. Jesus says we would. Jesus says we should. We also see here that those who have been restored, those who have been transformed by the Spirit's power, who are in Christ, they pray in Jesus' name. Okay, That's number two. They pray in Jesus' name. Notice what Jesus says here next in the text. He says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We get back-to-back sort of controversial, misunderstood verses. Some people are like, you'll do greater things than Jesus, and they preach that message. Greater this, greater this. And now we have, ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Two back-to-back controversial verses. couple things here then, okay? First of all, notice with me that a few things are repeated in the text. Let's break this down. Notice that Jesus says twice. He says, I will do it. Okay, I will do it, he says. So there is this real sense here that Jesus not only listens to prayer, but actually that he has the ability to answer prayer. That's important, right? That's very clear from the text. You pray to a God who can not only hear you, but who can answer, right? It's worth praying. (laughs) That makes prayer worth it, right? That's clear. But then with that, notice as well that the phrase, in my name, is also repeated, And if you've ever prayed before or you've ever been in a a church setting like this before, you've probably heard this, right? We, We go through all the things that we're praying for and about, and then how does it end? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, right? And so the question is, well, we get that from here. So the question is, what is that all about? Some of you have been praying in Jesus' name your whole life, and you don't know why, right? So what's that actually about? Right, what, what does it mean to pray in His name? Well, for certain, okay, this is not meant to be some sort of, let's call it a magical incantation, all right? Like, you say Jesus' name and all of your wishes come true.? Right? This verse is often used alongside what we call "name it and claim it" theology. okay? So Red Porsche in Jesus' name. Boom, right? Uh, But that is not what Jesus is getting at here, okay? Absolutely not. So what is he saying? Well, it involves a number of things. Namely, most importantly, okay, most significantly in the context that because you are in Christ, Jesus is saying, because you are in Jesus, the new temple, that means, in effect, that you can now pray directly to the Father, right? That's significant, right? Access to the Father is possible through the work of the Son and being in Jesus. Please understand that Jesus uses this terminology like Father all the time throughout his ministry, and we refer to God as Father all the time, but for the Jews, no, 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 no way. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 now you have access to the Father, right? Because you're in me. You could pray in my name. You're, you're one of us now is what he's saying. What I'm saying is in his name, praying in Jesus' name implies that you have a relationship with him, that, that you understand that you have access to God from the get-go, from the starting point. And what it also means is that because you are abiding in him, it means that, that you have an alignment, I'll say, an alignment with his purposes, an alignment with his character, alignment with his will. Listen, someone who belongs to the kingdom of God is concerned, first and foremost, with the kingdom of God, and so, There is a clear assumption here in the text that our prayers will align with the things of the kingdom. That that our prayers will be concerned with the ways and will of the Father. That's just natural, right? And do you see that in the text that we pray with our hearts this way? Why? Why? So that God may get glory, he says. So you see, this is not about praying to get the things that we want, and then attaching Jesus's name to that prayer. That's so disconnected, so disjointed from what Jesus is saying here. This is much more of a reminder of our position, our status, and our standing before God. It's a gospel reminder, if you will, that because we are in Christ Because we have found a place in Him, right? There are many rooms in Him. Because there is room in Him, we today can actually pray in His name. Pray and God will listen, amen? And when we understand the access we have to God, our status before Him, as that foundation and starting point, we can then pray boldly. We can then pray with great faith. We can then pray with a great sense of expectation, trusting trusting that God will answer those who are praying with their hearts aligned to the things of the kingdom for his glory. So we're seeing here, what we're seeing here is that the person who has been restored, the person who has found their dwelling in Jesus, they will live their lives bringing the kingdom. They will Live their lives praying in Jesus' name according to the ways and wills of the kingdom, and then see this now, they will live their life loving Jesus. For those who are in Christ, you want to know how they live their life. they love Jesus. They love Jesus. We see this as really straightforward in the text. See, see verse 15. Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is very basic, but it is so essential and fundamental when you think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, first of all, we'll break down this idea of love a little bit. First of all, what does it even mean to love him? What does that mean? Well, What it means is to love the person, Jesus Christ. Jesus does not tell the disciples, he doesn't tell us, to love a theological system, to love a religion, right? He he doesn't say to love religious traditions even, although traditions can be good. No, he, he says love me in a sense. Jesus is a person to be loved. And so this loving him means to desire him. It means to enjoy him. It means to find our our satisfaction in him. You might say loving Jesus is to prefer him to everything else. John has told us previously in this gospel that there are those who they love darkness rather than the light. He tells us a little bit later in the gospel that there are those who love the glory that comes from man, rather than the glory of God. But the one who has been restored, the one who is abiding in Jesus, they realize that Jesus is far better than sin, that that, that he is better than man's empty praise, amen? That's why sometimes we, we sing the song. Most of us know it. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance. What is it? Now and always. Because to love Jesus means realizing that with Jesus I have everything that I need and that I need nothing else. So that's the what of love. And how is it that we are to love him? Excuse me. What does that actually look like? How do we express our love for him? Well, Jesus tells us here, if you love me, then you will keep my commands. And what that means that is that, that if you love Jesus, that there will be this natural obedience that springs out of our love for him. Listen, the disciples were about to lose Jesus just hours after this conversation, just hours, he's about to go. And Jesus says, Hey guys, here's what I need you to do. I need you to love me. But Jesus, you can imagine them thinking, Jesus, how, how can we love you if we're about to lose you? Right? You're not even gonna be here for us to love you. How do you love a person who isn't there? And Jesus, too, that says, Do what I ask you to do, keep my commands. And, and please, please understand, we, we have to get the order of this correct. Otherwise, you'll miss the text, and really, you'll miss the gospel. This is important. It's not, if you obey me, then I'll love you, right? No. It starts with love. Love is our motivation, and the result of that love is obedience. And you know what? It's also interesting This also gives us the answer to what do we do or what do I do if I fall into sin? This is the answer. What is the answer or the remedy for disobedience to Jesus Christ? It's love. It's love for Jesus. Because hear me, the motivation of obedience is love. It's not duty. It's delight. You have to know this today. Duty, obligation, right? trying to follow rules in that rigid way, it's not a big enough engine to power long-term obedience. You will fail. That will never, ever work, right? But delight is enough. Right? Let me tell you something. You show me a person, show me a person who is delighting in Jesus, who's in love with Jesus, who has affections for Jesus. And I'll show you a person who is obedient to Jesus every single time. It always works that way. There's no other ingredient. It works that way every time, always. And Jesus actually says the same thing about himself at the end of this chapter. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me, So that the world may know what? That I love the Father. (laughs) Jesus obeyed the Father because he loved him. He did the will of the Father. He followed the ways of the Father because he loved him. So what's he saying? Again, there's this obedience that, that flows from, that follows love. Jesus' obedience to the Father was springing from his love for the Father. You see that? So again, this is very basic, but it is fundamental to our faith. This is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so today, even right now, I can ask this question. It's our second question today. I can ask this question, who do you love? What do you love? Or maybe better, what is your supreme love? The person who says, I love Jesus, but never obeys his commands, is just talking empty talk, aren't they? It's like um, if I were up here with you and I said, hey, you know what, I, uh, we're having a conversation about sports and, um, you know, we're in Korea, so someone brings up soccer or something, right? And so I say, oh, man, you know what? Oh, me too. I, I love soccer. It's the best. I love it. You're like, oh, like, did you ever play? No. No. Have you ever watched it before? Never never, never. I only watch and play baseball. But I, but I love soccer above all else. Right? So it's great. right? Try to relate to that person. Right? That wouldn't make sense. Or, you know, on a more serious note, you know, the, same could say, the same could be said about the church. Right? If, if I say, oh, I, I love the church. Oh, yeah, I love the church. I love church the best, right? Sunday, church, right? I love FBC but I never show up, I never invest here. How much do I actually love it? Right. right? Action follows love. And so if you love Jesus truly and deeply, listen, it will change your behavior dramatically. Someone needs to hear this today. Somebody. Right? Something or someone will Fill your heart. It's a guarantee. Something will always capture your affections. Listen, and your dominant love determines the direction of your life. What you love will determine the direction of your life. Jesus says, I'm about to leave, so here's what you should be doing. Love me. Love me. And so do you love him? And is your life proof of that love? Listen, we love him because he first loved us, amen? Let's be clear. Like we love him because he has proven his love to us by going to the cross for us so that we can be with him. Right? We love him because in Jesus, we have received a new heart. We love him because he is infinitely worthy of being loved. We love him because he's perfectly lovely. When you and I understand that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth and the life, that there is room in Christ for us today because of the gospel, the only right response is love towards him. And Then finally, what does the life of a restored man look like? What does the person who has experienced the presence of God look like? They live with the peace that he gives. They live with the peace that he gives. I never like taking a sip of anything during the sermon. It's such a distraction, isn't it? I never like when I'm sitting there and the preacher's like taking drinks. of ugh, such a distraction. I apologize. But I'm not going to make it. Thank you for your forgiveness. <clears throat> All right. They live with the peace he gives. Look at how verse 16 begins. Some of you are panicking because we've done one verse. (laughs) Welcome to Freedom Village. Okay, I promise. I'm almost there. Look at how verse 16 begins. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. First, I want us to see that in regard to loving God, in regards to keeping his commands, we are not doing this on our own or out of our own strength, even. Just like doing the greater works that we talked about before, same thing. Jesus says here, I'm giving you the spirit to help you do these things, doing kingdom work praying in his name right we are able to do these things because we are empowered people right we are empowered by the holy spirit let's understand that but in regard to living with peace how is that possible well there are a few reasons one of them simply being that again we are not alone Live with peace, Jesus says, because you are not alone. Though you might live alone, some of us here, though you might feel alone, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is in you. He is with you. Now, here in the text, we see that the Holy Spirit is called the helper. That word there in Greek is a word, it's paraclete, okay? Paraclete. It's what's used here for the spirit. Helper. Helper's an okay translation. Okay, I almost always love the ESV. It's okay, right? Uh, a better translation of that is, in English, would be more like a counselor or a comforter, okay? But helper is okay, right? We'll go with helper. Paraclete. And isn't it interesting that Jesus says, when I go to the Father, I will give you another helper. That word another is worth underlining. It's worth circling. It's worth highlighting in your Bibles. You see that? Another helper. That word is so, so important. It's literally the word for another of the same kind. Okay, so let me, let me give you an example. There's another word in Greek. It means another of a different kind. So it's like, hey, we're in Korea, but I'm going to go to another country. It's different, right? But this is not that. It's the same kind. It'd be like if I was at a coffee shop, which would be typical, okay? Sitting down for a cup of coffee. Um, It'll always be 95% of the time an iced Americano, okay? I'm with that iced Americano, and I finish it. And then I go up to the barista and say to him or her, I'll have another, which might also be typical, okay? What am I saying? What I'm saying is, I want the same thing. Give me another of what I have, the same kind. And, and, and understand, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And understand the significance of that. He's saying, I'm leaving, but the Father is going to give you another. One who is not sort of like me. No, no, no. One who is just like me, of the same essence, the same kind, the same divinity. The third person of the Trinity is coming to be with you. In other words, the Spirit is coming to fulfill the role that Jesus had been fulfilling. The Spirit is gonna do what Jesus had been doing. He's going to comfort, He's gonna strengthen. But whereas Jesus was only with these select group of disciples for like three years, notice again how long the Holy Spirit will be with those who believe, who trust Jesus. It's the end of verse 16. See it there? He says, What? He'll be with you. How long? Forever. He will be with you forever. Jesus is like, I'm going away physically, but the Spirit will be with you forever. Or you might say that the Holy Spirit will never unfriend you. Amen? <laughs> That's the worst, isn't it? Especially when you know who it is, right? Your, your followers go down, you're like, what happened? You scroll, and you're like, what? You for... And then you unfollow them because you're bitter, right? <laughs> Some of you need to know about the mute button. Okay, some of you got to discover the mute button. <laughs> notice as well, notice as well that Jesus, Jesus here calls him the spirit of truth, spirit of truth, and that there is actually a indirect reference to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's remember Jesus has been their teacher, but now Jesus says to them in verse 26, down, scroll down a little bit, it says, he, the Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So you can just imagine these disciples in the room, right, what they're feeling, how they're thinking. It's important, I think, sometimes to take ourselves into the scene, to feel it, right? These disciples have been with Jesus. They've been learning from Jesus. They've been told now they're about to lose their teacher. By the way, in Jewish culture, that is huge, huge deal culturally. It'd be like losing their father. Right? Jesus meant everything to them. They gave up everything. Everything. They left their physical family to be with him. And now he's like, I'm leaving you. But now Jesus says to them, yeah, I'm leaving, but listen, stay calm because another teacher is coming. And unlike me, he will be with you always. Right? One who will take what I've taught you, actually, and apply it to your hearts. Right? He will illuminate your minds to help you understand my words. It's incredible. So this is the gift that we receive when we believe in Jesus, the Spirit with us, and the Spirit in us. And it's just for those who believe. See verse 17 again? The Spirit who he gives... Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, this is a promise just for those who love Jesus. It's a promise just for those who choose to live their lives for Jesus. It's this great new covenant promise that we enter into. He will be with you, and you will be with him. Again, it's no longer like it was in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit would come upon people for certain periods of time, for certain tasks, right, for certain people. No, no, no. In this new covenant, Jesus says, the Spirit will be in every single believer, and it's forever. It's wonderful, isn't it? Jesus says, if you come to me, if you make your home in me, the Spirit will make his home in you. It's for every single follower of Jesus, and that's why we can rightfully say that we can experience God's presence Always. I hope it's making more sense to you. But it's also why we say that we should be living our lives different, always. We should be living with peace. And so we have this promise of the Spirit living in us and with us. And then, second, Jesus gives us this assurance that those who believe in Him, those who follow Him, they are united with Christ. Verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Aren't those some sweet words? I will not leave you. I will come to you. See, Jesus knows that the disciples are going to be tempted to feel abandoned when he leaves. Rightfully so. And so he promises them, I will not leave you as orphans. And what is he really saying? What he's really saying there is that even death cannot and will not separate us. And Of course, we know that's exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, right? That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Right? Not even death. Jesus says, I will come to you. You will see me. And how? Well, we know that Jesus, after his resurrection, will appear to the disciples multiple times. Right? He does not appear to unbelievers. You can read that in the New Testament, only appears to the believers. They see him. And then he says something for all who will choose to follow him. Because I live, you will also live. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. The resurrection proves it. You never have to live your life without me. The spirit of Christ will be with you always. It says in verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father. That is in the day he appears to them, And then he says this beautiful little phrase, and you and me, and I and you. Are you ready for this? You and me, and I and you. Try to wrap your mind around this one. This is what I tell you about the Bible. Like, come with expectation. The union that Jesus has with the Father, what he's now saying, that union that Jesus has with the Father mirrors now the union that believers now have with Jesus. The resurrection makes this possible. The gospel is incredible. Christ in us, the hope of glory, we are told. And so through the Holy Spirit, we are united now to the risen Christ. Far from being orphans, we are united with him forever. Far from losing Jesus, The disciples and now us can have this ongoing relationship with Jesus because nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. So live with peace, Jesus says, because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. Live with peace because you are united with me, Jesus Christ. And then he says, live with peace because we are loved by the Father. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We see this repeat of verse 15 here. There's emphasis there then. Jesus means it. He's already told us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says it again, which means, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He wants us to know. But then there's a shift. Those who love me, he says, and keep my commandments, they are loved by the Father. Now, if we're not careful, okay, we'll believe here or think here that what Jesus is saying is that we're earning the Father's love again, but that's not what Jesus is saying, okay? You have to understand the gospel of John in its entirety, in its context. All this, all Jesus is doing here is just, I'll say it this way, given the cyclical expression of love, he's told us already. Like, I love you, like, you love me, right? The Father loves you, the Father loves me, and in that, Jesus loves you again, right? It's this kind of over and over again, through the gospel, we're told. We are the Father's children. That's what this comes down to. That's what we're learning. We are in Christ and therefore belong to God, which is why Jesus adds to this in verse 23, that we make our home with the Father. There's this home Abiding language. It's very relational. It's very experiential. To these fearful, troubled people, and to us now, to you who feels low, lonely, burdened, broken, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. I am united with you. The Father and I are making our home with you. We love you, and we will never leave you. And then the last thing that I want us to see today as we close things up is that we can live with peace. This is profound. We can live with peace because we have actually been given peace. Imagine that. This is what's true. Peace is yours if you belong to Jesus. You have inherited peace. It's been given to you. For those who have been restored— For those who are in Christ, we should be living our lives with this overwhelming, great sense of peace. Why? Because we have actually been given peace. It's ours. This is verse 27 now. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Then he says, a repeat of verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Listen, listen, Jesus, Jesus is about to go. And when he leaves, he didn't have a big bank account to leave his disciples, city. he? Right? He didn't have a trust fund. Right? He didn't even have property to give him. Actually, he had nowhere to lay his head, he said. But he left them something that is infinitely more valuable, his peace. In our world, our world loves this idea of peace, doesn't it? We talk about peace. You could hear about peace all the time in our world, right? This is why, like, all the beauty pageants, when they ask, like, what do you want for the world? And where they say? World peace, right? That's, like, the, the typical answer, right? All about world peace, Right, And in, a da- in our daily lives even, right? especially like a, a busy city like Seoul, we're looking for peace. Right? We're looking for peace. And so, and so there's all these ways that you can attain peace. Right? Your social media feeds will be full of this stuff. It's like through stretching, you can obtain peace. Right? And then you'll watch these people. Or deep meditation and breathing. Here, download this app for $5.99 to have peace. Right? Right? right, Or use these essential oils right? and you can inherit peace. right? Uh, pretty good, by the way, those essential oils. <laughs> hey, no shame. Right? But listen, there is a peace that is over every other peace. Jesus says, I'm not giving you what the world gives you when it comes to peace. No, no, no. I'm giving you a peace that can only be found in me. It's what the scriptures refer to as shalom. That's what's being given here. That word shalom, it's so much bigger than peace. It literally means, it means, it means wholeness. It means healing. See, when you think of shalom and peace as that, wholeness, healing, right, peace, then when we, we look at our world, we understand very clearly that we live in a world with no Peace. No shalom. Why? Because our world is so broken. Our our, our world is, is hurting. But now in Jesus, we can have this peace personally, he says. We can be restored. We can be made whole again. Not only that, but we can bring this peace that we have to our world. And that's exactly the work that Jesus has left us with, right? And we do this work knowing that we have the promise that one day we will have full and final peace forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's why we can sing another song today. It is well with my soul. Not just theoretically, but experientially. Listen, through Jesus and being in Jesus, through the gift of the Spirit, we don't just know about peace. We've actually obtained it. Peace is ours to take hold of, to grasp and to have and to hold. And so one of the big questions today is are you at peace? Is your life marked by, defined by peace? Are you experiencing peace in a real way? Listen, Jesus will go on from here to say to his disciples, he tells them again, I'm going to the cross to be crucified. But yet my death is going to lead to the ultimate victory and my glorious union with the father. He actually tells them, can you imagine? He actually tells them, you should be rejoicing right now because I'm going to the father because I'm going to the cross. You should be celebrating that reality, rejoicing over it. Why? Because when I do that, it means that my work is finished and it means that your sins are forgiven and it means that the spirit is coming to be with you and to reside in you forever. Freedom Village family, today through believing in Jesus, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. God in us and because we have him, we know and have assurance that we are not only walking with God, but that he is actually helping us through the spirit to become more like him. And so in light of that reality, how should we be living? What should disciples of Jesus be doing in light of being restored to him while Jesus says that we should be doing the works of the kingdom? We should be praying in the name of Jesus, knowing that we are with Jesus. We should be devoting our our lives to loving him and we should live with peace, spreading peace. Why? Because we've been given great peace. We have a wonderful savior, don't we? A savior who has given us himself so that we can live. Let's live our lives for him. Let's live our lives with him knowing that we are in him. Amen. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table communion.